Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. We're glad you're here. My name is Matt, and it's a joy to be with you this morning, and I have a bone to pick with my wife because she set me up. I don't know if you noticed, but David and I are matchy-matchy today. And uh, I kid you not, about 9 o'clock last night, I pulled out my outfit for this morning, and she goes, hmm, how about you wear that dark denim shirt you never wear in those black jeans? I've never worn this combination in my life, and yet here I am. Walking in, the first thing I see is David. So if I can match anybody, it's an honor to match David. But uh, hey, it's uh, good to be with you this morning, and uh, my wife and I will deal with that later. Uh, hey, we're jumping into a new series here called In Tune, and I want to do a little age check in the room to find out how old you actually are uh, today. How many of you grew up with one of these in your household? Yeah, hands up, everybody. All right, what are they called? What are they called? Rabbit ears, bunny ears, right? Now, for those of you 30 and under who have no idea what this thing is, let me explain. In a world before iPhones and internet and fiber optics, we had these bad boys. And they were better because they required a certain skill set. And everybody knows that every house had the one individual who's particularly good at it. Uh, But how it would work, let me explain it to you for those of you who don't understand. You would take these things and you begin this painstaking process of uh, turning them and pushing them and adjusting them to try to get the perfect picture to come into your TV of black and white fuzziness, regardless of how you did them, right? Some families had rituals. Maybe you had to like stand on your head and spin around three times and then adjust it and then it would work. And it was really quite a frustrating process because you'd finally get it. You're like, nobody move. And you'd back away from the TV slowly, like, and as soon as you sat down, it'd go fuzzy again, right? It was just so frustrating. And I think what made it most infuriating was that you knew it was possible to get a really good picture. You could just never get there, right? As I was considering this Easter season, I was considering these things, and I began to ask the question to myself of what would it look like to be really in tune with God? To have my heart so dialed in and so connected that the picture I see of God is incredibly clear. That the fuzziness that sometimes exists around our spiritual journey would just be gone. And for once in our life, we could get this really clear picture of God. So I want to invite you over the next three weeks to join me on that journey. This series really was a birth out of a burden in my heart to grow more in tune with my Savior, to know Him better, to have a yearning and a desire to understand His heart. Because I don't know about you, but as I consider this, it feels a lot like my spiritual life. There's all sorts of noise and static that seems to be competing with my picture of God. There's all sorts of hurriedness and busyness that seems to interrupt the connection I have uh, to my Savior. And, and so, right, like this is like when you're praying and you're, you're trying to lean in, but then your thoughts are racing. It's when you're reading your Bible and you're just really tired, or you're reading it on your phone and the notifications come through, or There's all sorts of noise and static. And we want to invite you over the next three weeks to to help eliminate some of that static. Because if you're here today, whether you're a follower of God or not, God's desire for you is always and will always be the same. That he would be in close relationship to you. Everything God has done in creating us, in Jesus, in giving us his word, and giving us his church is for the express purpose that you and God would be in a connected relationship. Consider with me Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, God has created mankind in God's perfect world. He said it was very good. There was nothing wrong with it. God's perfect was you and him in close proximity. It was God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. It was unbroken relationship with God. That was his perfect world. 
But man's appetite and desire for power ultimately led us to sin. We rebelled against that perfect love. We broke that relationship. We had to be separated because he's a holy God. But here's the thing. That was Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 3, God puts a plan in place to rescue man. And all throughout scripture, his desire was always the same. That he was doing whatever it took to get close to his creation that he loved so much. And in fact, in the book of James, all the way at the other end of your scriptures, you see this promise given of God. Come near to God and he will come near to you. The God of the universe, the creator of the heavens, says if you would lean in, if you would tune your heart to his, he promises to reciprocate. He promises to come near you. And that should mean something to us. That after all I am, and after all I'm not, all of my failures and all of my shortcomings, the God of the universe has invited me in. Will we respond to that invitation is really the challenge of this series. So I invite you to tune your hearts to God. To tune, this is how it's defined. To bring into harmony that your relationship with God would be in harmony and not opposed. And I love this second definition, to adjust for precise function, intensity, or effectiveness. As you consider your spiritual life, would you uh, wonder what it would be like that if your life was adjusted to be effective spiritually? That if you knew the purposes in which God had called you and you were walking in them with such harmony with God that it just felt right? Because let's be honest, nobody wants to show up to church, read your Bible, do the things like serving and all of those things to have an ineffective spiritual life. We just don't. We don't want an ineffective spiritual life. It just seems like a waste. It's just a rhythm. And yet so many of us settle for that. And I wonder if it's because we've gotten up and we've not known how to adjust these things to find God's heart. And so we've done a bunch of things. We've done our dance. We've done our rituals. But we've never stopped and asked God, God, how do I get to know you in a way that my life and my spiritual life are effective? It brings about the change I ultimately desire. Well, James later on uh, makes this promise also in James chapter 6. You can go and jump ahead to James 6. He says this, this is the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The righteous person, the one whose life is ordered rightly, when they pray, when they ask the God of the universe to do something, he says it's powerful and effective. It's not just empty words in the air. That prayer has the power to move God's hand. Now, that sounds like the type of spiritual life I want. That sounds like the type of relationship with my Savior and the God of the universe that I want. When I pray, God hears me. And more than hears me, he moves on my behalf. As you consider an effective spiritual life, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. Jesus modeled this type of prayer for us, this type of life. I mean, Jesus prayed some incredible prayers. He prayed and the the blind saw and the lame were healed and the, the, the lame walked. Those who were sick, those who were dying were raised and found life. He even said to the disciples that if you prayed with faith, you could see mountains move. Talk about effective. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at some rhythms and patterns of Jesus's life uh, that he put in there that he would invite us into uh, to be the type of people whose hearts are in tune 
with God. So we're going to come back to prayer, but I want to talk about fasting. Fasting is a, is a uh, discipline talked about all through the scriptures, and in fact, it's mentioned more times than uh, the act of baptism. But ba- fasting is uh, this pivotal piece within uh, the narrative of scripture where individuals would choose uh, to set something aside for a specific period of time in order to seek God. And you see this uh, often linked with really desperate and difficult situations. And so I want to kind of overview for you a few examples of how we, so we see this throughout the scripture. So 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12 is one of them that you see. King David wept and prayed and fasted for his sick child. He got on his face and he prayed and prayed and prayed and he wouldn't eat because he wanted to be solely uh, focused on prayer. Nehemiah chapter one, uh, after Judah had been destroyed, uh, Nehemiah hears this. He wept and prayed and fasted because he wanted God to give him the ability uh, to come talk to the king and get favor to go rebuild his home city. And so he wept and fasted and prayed in earnest zeal. Esther, under very similar circumstances, not only uh, called Mordecai to um, fast, but she said, hey, find everybody who's with us, all the Jews. And so she calls this fast that everybody would not eat for a specific period of time while she went to appeal to the king. You see this in the New Testament. Luke chapter 2, a widow uh, is recorded worshiping night and day, praying and fasting and worshiping God. And you see this again not in a moment of desperation, but in a desire to know God's next step for the church in Acts chapter 13. Uh, They had just had Pentecost. Things were kind of moving in Jerusalem, and they set this time aside to pray and fast to find out God's heart and next step for the church. Through that process, God revealed to Paul and Barnabas that they were supposed to go and start planting churches. And praise God, they prayed and fasted and heard that because we are recipients of their obedience, right? And so you see this played out all through scripture, but here's what's really interesting to note about fasting. It's never commanded in scriptures. There is not one single command given to you that you have to fast. And in fact, what you see instead is this invitation. It's an invitation by God to lean in, to lay some things aside, to hear his heart. You see Jesus model fasting for us in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, if you don't have your Bibles, or if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. If you don't have one, we'd love to put one in your hands for free out at the Welcome Center. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 4, there's something incredibly important happening here. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and nights, he was hungry. We'll pause right there. There's, there's a couple key connections uh, that you should see as you're going through this. One, uh, you see the same repeated idea of temptation uh, in the garden, right, where man was tempted with food. You see the same uh, thing repeated in the book of Exodus, where they are brought out of Egypt into the wilderness, and they're tested in the wilderness primarily with their attitude around food and desires and appetite. And so you see Jesus step in where both Adam and Eve failed and the people of Israel failed, Now Jesus is stepping into the same space of temptation and he's hungry because here's the deal about Jesus. When he came to earth, he was fully God and fully man and he embraced what it meant uh, to be human. And so that means the guy needed some dinner. All right. I think he was the one who invented Chick-fil-A, the original Jesus chicken. Okay. He needed to eat. But for this period of his life or this season, he chose to fast from food for 40 days. Now that would require a kind of some miraculous strength to do that. That is incredibly difficult. Uh, But he did it, and he was hungry. It was at that moment where appetite and desire were at its strongest that Satan shows up. Verse 3. 
The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He said, if you really are God, do it. Leverage this power for your personal gain, right? You're seeing a very similar temptation to the garden where he said, is God really, is, did God really say you could be like God? He was tempting again with the same temptation. He would leverage it, right? Well, listen to how Jesus replies. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see this incredible uh, pattern, and you can read the rest of this story for yourself, but every time Satan tempts him, he replies with scripture. Incredibly important lesson for us. But what does he say? He said, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus is demonstrating for us in this verse the primary purpose of fasting. That is, we recognize our needs and our desires and our appetites, and they're not all bad, But fasting tells us that our greatest need is God. Fasting reminds, go and throw this up there. Fasting reminds us that our greatest need is God. Jesus replies to him and saying, listen, it's been 40 days and I'm hungry, but here's the deal. I don't need food more than I need God. I'm not sustained by dinner. I'm sustained by God. Now, fasting is one of those invitations where we say, okay, there's a lot I need. There's a lot I want. But what I need most, the most important thing about me is actually my relationship to God. See, fasting, and throw this up there, is an invitation to remove the desires that can obstruct our desire for God. Now, is there anything wrong with dinner? No. I love dinner. I had a fantastic dinner last night. Loved it. Did I get in my way of relationship with God? No. But fasting says, okay, even the good things in my life, they have a way of filling up my life making my life really noisy and busy. Can I, for a season, create some space? Space, that's a funny word, isn't it? Margin. Anybody with kids laughs at the idea of margin, right? And occasionally when you do get some margin, you just find something else to fill that space with, right? Like even if God does give us some space to connect to him, we just fill it, right? Like you're waiting in the pickup line for your kids at school, you got five minutes and Instead of sitting there and praying that God would give us the heart to engage with our kids after a long emotional day and and have a profitable conversation around dinner, we scroll, right? Instead of getting up and the first thing in our mind is, man, I need God more than I need breakfast, we kind of rush through our day and just kind of forget about it. And I, I don't mean to describe your life. I'm actually describing mine. Because it's really easy for me in those moments to engage with what is expedient and what's right in front of me rather than to engage with God. And fasting says, not only do I want this, those margins to be filled with God, I want to intentionally move some things out of my life so I have more space to find God. Because I recognize I need him more than I need more food. I need him more than I need more entertainment. I need him more than I need whatever. It's kind of like when you're going down uh, on a trip and you're driving and you have to follow the GPS and this is a very real experience for me and I'm sure you can relate to this, but you're driving and you're listening to the GPS and the kids in the backseat are going, dad, 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 dad. What? Look at my car. (laughs) Great, buddy. That's the 30th time I've looked back at your car. It's the same car you held just a second ago. Dad, 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 right? And it's so loud in those cars that all of a sudden you miss the GPS trying to tell you to turn left and you're like, where are we now? We're lost, right? As I've considered this, I wonder how often God has been trying to speak to you lately 
How often God has been trying to give you the direction in your life that you're asking for. How often God has been speaking in that he wants you to come near to his heart, but all the while our life is so loud and there's so many good things running through our heads and there's so many even bad things running through our head that God's voice just gets drowned out. I wonder how many times I've missed the direction God has tried to point me in because I've just not slowed down enough to create the space to hear it. I've let these things be so out of tune And then I sit there and wonder where God is. What fasting does is it says, there's some things in my life. They can go for a season so that I can find out God's heart. So I can find out what he wants for me. So I can align my desires to his. Now, fasting isn't where you skip lunch so you can get more work done and call it fasting. It's not fasting. Fasting is where this void is to be filled by seeking God through prayer. See, prayer fills the void that fasting creates. It's intentional that there's space, and it will take discipline to fill that empty space with seeking God. And so we want to talk a little bit about what it looks like in these moments of fasting and, and how we ought to pray, how we ought to seek God, uh, how we ought to engage with him through both prayer uh, and his word. Because um, not only do we want to create space, we want to engage God uh, more intentionally. And so we're going to jump to, again, another example of Jesus in Matthew 26. And just to be fair to the text, um, he's not fasting uh, in this passage, but it's an incredibly uh, powerful passage as we consider the type of prayers we ought to be praying all the time, but especially while we're fasting. Jesus, right in this moment, is near the end of his uh, uh, time on earth. He knows it's coming. This is his final hour. Uh, he has had his last supper with his disciples. He's told his disciples that they're going to betray him. Uh, one of them is going to deny him. And they go into the Garden of Gethsemane to begin to pray. And he invited his disciples to pray with him. He goes off to pray by himself. And this is what takes place. Matthew 26, starting in verse 39. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Notice his posture. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, on his face in a posture of humility before the Father, he prayed. So my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, with bold confidence before the Father, says, Father, if there is another way to save humanity, if there is another way to redeem and rescue your people, can we please pick that plan? To take this cup from me, he was referring to an Old Testament language of the cup of wrath, which was God's wrath poured out on sin. And what was happening at the cross was God's righteousness. There needed to be amends paid for our sin. And so that wrath was given to Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to drink your wrath so that your people never have to. So if there's another way for this to happen, please let it be so. You see this incredible honesty in Jesus. God, here's my desires. Here's what I want. I don't want to have to go through this experience. And yet he prays the most important piece you and I could ever add to our prayers. And is this, yet not as I will, but as you will. God, here's what I want. Here's what I desire. Here, it's yours. Not as I want, but as you will. that's important, but it's not even the most interesting thing that happens in this passage. Jesus goes back to find his friends in verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. 
Could you men keep watch with me? Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you see this pattern? Genesis, there was appetite and desire and temptation, and they fell. Exodus, there was appetite and desire and temptation, and they fell. Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, there was appetite and desire, and he did not fall because he understood that the Lord sustained him, not any of those desires. You see this again here. He says, we are weak, and we need to acknowledge that, but he's also calling the disciples to grow up in their spiritual discipline. Stop being so weak spiritually. Would you stand firm, recognize that there is an attack? You are being tempted. He said, stop playing. Now, is the desire for a nap and the disciples wrong? No, it was probably the middle of the night. They were exhausted. And Jesus, again, emphasizes that sleep and food are not what you need most. What you need is to be in a connected relationship to the Father. That will sustain you. And then the most interesting thing happens to me. As I read through this, verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. I find it so interesting that Jesus goes back a second time. So often we could just say, well, I said my will be done. Why do I even need to pray? I already told God what I wanted and he already told me, no, I'm just going to move on. But that's not what Jesus models. Jesus leans in a second time and says, okay, if this really is the only way, then so be it. You see the tone change in his approach. And here's why I think that is. Because prayer is an invitation to tune your heart to God's heart. Prayer is an invitation where you get to connect your heart to God's heart. You see Jesus do this. He says, I don't want this. I don't desire this. Help me understand your desires. And he comes back the second time and says, okay, still not what I would pick, but God, I want what you want. And praise be to God, he said this, because as a result of this, you and I have access to salvation and an eternity with him because Jesus chose to walk this path. Now, here's the deal. It wasn't that the desires of Jesus were bad. It wasn't that he prayed a bad prayer. It wasn't that he didn't have enough faith. It wasn't that God didn't love Jesus. And all the places we go, when God doesn't answer the prayers the way we think he ought to, the truth was God had a better plan. And sometimes for us, God has a better plan. But we're so fixated on what we want and how we want it and when we want it that we don't slow down and say, okay, God, what do you actually want for my life? Because 10 times out of 10, it is the better plan. Now, it doesn't always mean you get to escape the difficulties of life. I mean, Jesus proves that for us. But the end result of that obedience will always be greater. So say it this way, prayer is the invitation to lay our desires before God and pick up his. Now pray bold prayers. Ask God to move. Ask God to save people. Ask God to heal. Ask God to do all of those things with great fervency and great confidence in his character. But recognize at the end of the day, the most important thing you can do there is lay them before the King of Kings, the maker of heaven and earth. Because sometimes what you'll find is this really beautiful thing where your desires and God desires align. You get to see that individual saved. You get to see God do that breakthrough. You get to see God move those mountains, and we rejoice in those moments. Then there's other times that we pray, and we lay those desires before God, and they're not the same. God has a different plan. 
And listen, we still need to rejoice in those moments. Even if God doesn't answer your prayers the way you want. You're like, what do you mean? Why do I have to rejoice in unanswered prayers? Listen. What that means is that you have the God of the universe listening into your heart and lovingly guiding you to what is better. I don't know about you, but I need that. Because as we talked about through the James series, my desires are not always trustworthy. My appetite is not always trustworthy. I need him to direct me to the life that ultimately is better. And so the invitation through this series is that we would get in that space and create that space. So my question for you as you consider what this looks like is what desires crowd out your desire for God? Maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you could also answer this and be honest that there may be some desires that are crowding out your desire for God, your desire for control, your desire uh, to not have to humble yourself and repent. Right? There's a whole host of reasons for what's keeping God at bay. But also for those of us who are followers of God, like, let's just have a moment of reflection here. There are things in our life that busy our hearts to not want God. Maybe for you in the moment of need, uh, you are emotionally run down and instead of running to God, you run to making more money because making more money helps you get that semblance of control. Or uh, when you're feeling that way, you, f- you open up Amazon and you start scrolling through there to buy something. Maybe for you in those moments of emotional need, rather than running to God to fill that void, you run to food or all sorts of things. Maybe you get home from work and after a long day, instead of leaning into God, we flip on the TV to numb ourselves and to tune out effectively the weights on our soul. But what happens is we do that long enough, your soul gets heavy. My soul gets heavy. I think it's why so many of us walk around so weary and so tired and so beat up. is because God has been asking to tune our hearts. He's been asking to offload the worries and problems onto him, and we just hold them because there's something about that connection that seems so fuzzy we don't want to engage. The call for us in this season is to lean in, to trust the promise in James chapter 4 that if we come near to God, he will come near to us. So I want to invite you not command you, but invite you to join us in a fast. I would invite you from today until Easter, a set period of time, to join us in setting aside something, whatever it is, that greatest desire that competes with your desire for God, that you would, you would set it aside. Now, if the desire is your children, don't ship them off, okay? Find a way around it. But that you would just be able to create some really beautiful space with God, and you're like, I don't know what that feels like. That feels awkward to me. Good, embrace it. You did it once when you were pursuing a lady you liked. Embrace it. Why? Because a relationship is far, far greater than even that relationship could ever be. And so here's some ideas for you. Maybe uh, for you, you would like to lay aside food. This is a common practice of scriptures that there would be a period of time without food. Uh, So this could be at certain times, maybe from uh, 8 to 10 or whatever. There's a certain time period you want to fast. This could be certain types of food. Maybe for you, it's like the midnight snack. And this is not a diet, so don't look at it as a diet. But if late at night, you're overrun by the day, you're emotionally all worked up, and your move is to go to Rocky Road ice cream, right? could you perhaps in that season say, no, I'm not going to run there. I'm going to run to the feet of Jesus for that. Right? Uh, are there certain meals? Maybe you're going to fast uh, breakfast. And so I would invite all of you specifically, if you want to join us 
uh, from our overseers to our pastors, uh, to our staff, and then your campus uh, leadership team here as well. I've invited them all to join us Monday lunchtime to fast, this specific time. Uh, we as a staff are going to adjust our staff meetings so we can pray specifically. We're praying for a couple things. We're praying for God uh, to move big at Easter in the hearts of people, uh, that he would bring many, many people to come to know him through you inviting your neighbors and you inviting your friends to hear the gospel uh, proclaimed. We're praying uh, that God would save many people. That's, we're, just, we're always praying that as a staff, that God would save lost people. And the third one, that we're asking God what he wants next for us. Similar to what we saw in Acts 13, we want to know where God wants us to go next, because there are still communities that need the good news of Jesus. So uh, Mondays, if you want to join us, we're going to be doing that. And, and as you're praying, um, here's some things I want you to consider. I don't know. I think I lost them. I lost them. Anyway, on the way out, you'll be getting a little PI squared card, pray, invest, invite. Uh, here's what I would encourage you to do in this space. Write down some names of people that you intend to invite to Easter. We gave you Easter invite cards, and that you would spend that period of time praying that God would save those individuals. Because here's what I know to be true emphatically across scripture. God's heart is for lost sons and daughters to come home. If you want to know God's desire, it's that. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You don't need to get mysterious about God's desire. It's blatantly clear to us that we would be agents of light in a world of darkness. So would you pray for those names of who you're either going to invite or who you're going to have a conversation with about Jesus? Back to some things you could fast from. I got a little off track there. Entertainment. Maybe for this season you want to lay aside. It's not, maybe it's a couple of these things. Maybe it's just one of these things. Maybe it's food and entertainment. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe entertainment. Shows, movie, news, right? Like let's talk about something that can easily distract you from tuning into God's heart is too much of uh, our news outlets. Maybe for you it's sports, social media, uh, maybe you want to stop using your cell phone for a certain period of time so you can engage with the Lord. Maybe it's financial. Uh, maybe for you, you need to go on a spending freeze and only spend what's absolutely necessary because that's your go-to. That's what you run to to fill that void. Or maybe it's working overtime. Uh, you want to try to regain some control and you want to busy your life so you don't have to deal with those emotions if you can afford to. And maybe even if you can't afford to for a little bit, maybe don't work some overtime. Maybe lean in and ask God, what do you want to do with the space that I'm going to intentionally create to seek you. So we're going to give you this guide on the way out. It's a fasting guide. This kind of talks through kind of an overview of everything I've said today. Uh, so you can go over it. You can think through it. You can pray about it. Um, the end, uh, the, the prayer, uh, we're going to kind of circle back to Psalms 139 uh, in two weeks here to talk about this. But here's what I would encourage you uh, to do. Tell somebody. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought the Bible told me not to tell anybody when we're fasting. That's not what it's talking about. Right? We need accountability. So if you're in a small group, tell the people in your small group what you plan to fast, or maybe uh, you have a partner or, or um, your spouse that you say, hey, this is what I want to choose to set aside for this season. Would you hold me accountable? Right? Now, Matthew chapter 6, I would encourage you to write that down and read that later if you're going to fast. He, Jesus does talk pretty clearly about our posture and our heart attitude when we fast. Right? He says, don't run around and look glum and sullen and sad and let everybody know, why are you so grumpy? Because I'm fasting, because I'm so holy. Right? Like That's not... It's not what we're doing when we're telling somebody. We're telling somebody so they can help keep us accountable, right? Uh, so perfect example, modern day, if you're going on a social media fast, you don't need to tell social media you're going on a social media fast, right? That'd be a direct uh, example of Matthew chapter six. Listen, they probably won't even know you're gone. They'll just blame the algorithm for why you disappeared, okay? This is a season where God has invited you and me to come near to him. 
And as I consider all the things my life is about, there's very few things that I would consider even in the ballpark of a relationship with the Savior. And yet so often, if I'm being completely transparent with you this morning, I can hear the pull and call of my Savior and I can ignore it. I can find other things that I would deem important, other things that I would deem relaxing, other things that I would deem whatever. I want to challenge us. We'll hear that call that we would answer it. And more than hear that call, that we would call to God ourselves. Say, God, I've made this space. Would you come fill it? Because I need you to fill me more than I need a full belly, more than I need anything. God, I want you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. As I consider James chapter 4, it blows my mind, God, that you would want me near you. I know me. I don't want to be near me sometimes. And yet you desire that. And not only desire that, you allowed Jesus to take the cup of wrath to pay the price so that we could be close. God, I pray that you would forgive me for the times when you have called and I have not answered. But I want to be the type of person, I want to be the type of child to the Father that when you call, I respond. God, I thank you that you are far more gracious and patient and loving than I can even begin to understand. That when I call on you, you hear me. That when I call on you, you move. So God, as a church, we want to set aside this time to call on you, Father. God, we have neighbors, we have loved ones, we have friends who need to know the gospel. We have marriages that need you to interrupt their trajectory. God, we have families that need you to interject their trajectory. God, we need you. More than we need these lights and this building, God, we need you. God, if there's anything standing in the way, would you reveal it and remove it so that we can get you? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.